Welcome to the 101st episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host for today, Patrick Winograd. In this edition, uh, my topics are a quick overview of my weekend predictions, although we're probably not going to spend that much time on that one <laughs> based on how uh, that did this week. Um, recapping conference championship games and college football had some great games there. Uh, and recapping week 13 of the NFL season, also some great games in the NFL. So let's jump right in with a look back at my weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. Starting with the NBA, uh, for once I had a winning record in the NBA, and I thought that uh, the rest of my week would go pretty well because that was the one league where I was constantly 2-2. Two and two. I went 3-1 and one in NBA predictions this week, but unfortunately in the NCAA I went 2-2. Two and two. Uh, in the NFL, I went one and three, and in college basketball, I went one and three. So overall, I was seven and nine this week. Pretty bad record, uh, but as we know, I've been doing pretty well recently. So I was almost pretty much due to have a pretty bad week at some point, uh, bringing me to two hundred and sixty-two and one hundred ninety-one overall, a fifty-seven point eight winning percentage. Uh, and as I would want to say about this week, I was two and a half yards away from being nine and seven because. The Baltimore Ravens lost a game by because they did not get uh, the two-point conversion against the Steelers, and I picked them to win. Uh, as Mark Andrews dropped the ball, uh, it, well, you could blame, there are many people you could blame for what happened there, but uh, it, it doesn't really matter who's to blame. It's just a fact that the Ravens were very, very close. In fact, two yards away, if they make that two-point conversion, they win the game. Uh, they didn't, so they didn't win the game. And because of that, I lost that prediction, which would have made me 8-8 eight and eight if I had that right, and 2-2 two and two in the NFL. And then, as we know, Oklahoma State won, I mean, not even a yard, probably a foot, maybe 9 or 10 inches away from winning the Big 12 championship game and really having a real fight for, uh, for a playoff spot with, with, uh, with Cincinnati. It's possible they might have made it. I don't think they would have. But they could have put up somewhat of a fight uh, if their running back, Desmond Jackson, had just gotten one extra little foot of reach. They would have scored. It was a fourth and goal on the one-yard line with about 20 seconds left. Uh, they were down by five, and Desmond Jackson just couldn't stretch into the end zone. Got got beat to the corner by uh, Jerron McVay of Oklahoma of Baylor. Sorry. Uh, so... Also got that game wrong because of that one yard. It would have been 3-1 and one in the NCAA, and then overall it would have been 9-7 and seven instead. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad that there were such interesting and close games this weekend because sometimes I predict these games, and even if they're supposed to be close or they're high-ranked matchups, they don't end up that close, like Michigan beating Iowa by a lot this weekend. Um, or even Alabama's win over Georgia was pretty dominant. So... Uh, overall, I'm glad that there were some close games, and I'll take the loss just to have more enjoyment. The record doesn't matter too much to me. They were very, very close games, and, you know, the reasons why I picked the team still felt secure even when they had lost the game. I mean, it was really just that they played close games against teams that were um, at their same level, and that's the reason they lost the game. But moving on from my weekend predictions, let's move on to the weekly look at college football there are really only two categories that I wanted to place the conference championship games into, uh, so I'll ch I changed them up this week, and I'm starting with the two upsets of the weekend in the uh, important conference championship games. I, I will be ignoring all the ones that didn't really play a factor in the playoff, and then there's one that there's two of them that don't have anything to do with the playoff, but there were still tough, close, ranked matchups that are important uh, to talk about overall. 
Uh, in upsets, we have Alabama, number three, beating number one, Georgia, 41-24. to I don't think Alabama can ever be classified as pulling off an upset, honestly. But if there were ever a game where not only were they the underdogs, but really consensus underdogs, I think everybody knew the game would be close, and no one was going to say that Georgia was going to blow out Alabama in this game. But most people, most experts, and most most people just in general with their picks in this game were picking Georgia. Uh, just because of that defense, it's a great defense. And really, two slant, two slants that Alabama ran just ended the game for, for Georgia. I mean, uh, Jamison Williams scored a touchdown on a slant right on a third down, and then Slade Bolden uh, on a drive where Alabama was had pretty normal field position back on their own 20, I think. Uh, Slade Bolden caught a slant on a broken coverage that was a 20-yard catch, and it led to Alabama taking five more minutes off the clock and effectively ending the game off of just that time-ending clock, uh, that time at clock, uh, clock-winding drive, and then George also threw a pick six late in the game. So uh, Alabama really, it, it, this game was closer than 41-24 to 24 indicates, but at the same time, Alabama did, did win pretty thoroughly in this game, and they were definitely the better team on Saturday. That's not to say that Georgia can't rebound. That's not to say that Georgia can't beat Alabama again if they were to rematch in the playoff, which we'll get to later. Uh, and then Baylor, as I said, I described how they won. They won 21-16 to over Oklahoma State with that crazy play that I described. Uh, it was really just a great game, but Baylor, after all, was winning 21-3 to and pretty much just let Oklahoma State come back into this game. They really shouldn't have, um, but... Oklahoma State's uh, Spencer Sanders threw four interceptions in this game, a career high for him. They lost the turnover battle against Baylor by three, uh, the margin at least. They were negative three against Baylor early in the season, uh, and they still won that game by 20. But this game, it came back to bite them, and they ended up losing a close one by five. Oklahoma State still had their chances. They had eight plays from inside of the one yard from the one yard line or inside. And were never able to score a touchdown, settling for one field goal in the fourth quarter on such a drive on fourth and goal. And then on the last play of the game, or the last meaningful play of the game, uh, they weren't able to get into the end zone, as I described earlier, just a few inches short there. And that is the end of Oklahoma State's season, a pretty disappointing end, honestly. Uh, But Baylor gets to go into their bowl game with a little bit of extra energy. Uh, It doesn't seem like Dave Aranda is going to be taking one of the major college uh, major other offers so hopefully they're going to keep their coach Uh, Oklahoma State's going to keep theirs going into their bowl game but a little bit of a disappointment factor there obviously after that loss we'll see we'll see how they fare in their bowl game Uh, but moving on from the upsets let's go to the dominant wins in the conference championship weekend before I start with dominant wins I will say there would have been a close game category except for the fact that there well there weren't any close games uh, the close game, the only close game really in my mind was Baylor and Oklahoma State uh, and maybe Pitt Wake Forest for the first half, but the second half was not close. Uh, and the next closest game was Cincinnati only winning by 15 against Houston, which isn't a close game either. Uh, so I flipped it from close games to dominant wins this weekend. Pitt winning 45-21 to over Wake Forest. Pitt number 15, Wake Forest number 16. Both teams had pretty... Uh, Pretty miraculous seasons considering uh, where their programs are typically expected to be and where they normally are. Wake Forest did the impossible by actually shutting out Clemson for winning their division. That is something that basically has not happened in probably six or seven years at this point. Uh, And 
Even though they lost to Clemson, they were still able to win the division. Uh, so good for Wake Forest. They had a good season. Uh, but this loss to Pitt is obviously a little bit disappointing. You obviously want to walk away as conference champions, even if they weren't going to end up anywhere near the playoff picture. But a good season by Pitt and a good game played. Uh, they shut out Wake Forest high-powered offense from the first quarter on. They were losing 21-14 at the end of the first quarter and outscored Pitt and out sorry, Pitt outscored Wake Forest in the rest of the game 31 to nothing. Uh, that's pretty much all you need to know about that one. Uh, then moving on from that, Cincinnati uh, scored 21 points in the third quarter. Uh, shut out Houston in that quarter too. It was only a 14 to 13 halftime lead for Cincinnati and just when you thought that they would play another close game and maybe the playoff committee would be given kind of an out to leave them out of the playoff again for playing too close. Uh, they they tightened up. They easily won this game. They were up they were up 35 to 4 to 13 and really that should have been the final score. Houston scored a garbage time touchdown, but if Cincinnati were trying, they probably could have scored another touchdown in the fourth quarter themselves, but they get all of their points in the first and the third quarter, play really really good defense to make sure that Houston can't mount a comeback and they end up winning this game 35 to 20 and becoming the first group of five team to ever make the college football playoff as a result. They're not the first non-Power 5 team because, as we know, Notre Dame has made it twice. But other than Notre Dame, they are the, the other than Notre Dame, they are the only non-Power 5 in the first one in a conference. Obviously, Notre Dame being an independent. Uh, moving on from that, Michigan gets their first playoff berth after a 42-3 dominant win over number 13 Iowa in the Big Ten championship game. Iowa didn't have much of a chance. Michigan got more, pretty much more total yards on two trick plays than, uh, or really not even on two trick plays, on one trick play and uh, and a run up the middle, uh, a read option, than Iowa got pretty much in the rest of the game. They scored 14 points off of that in the first quarter. No scores in the second. In the third, Michigan really played a good game on defense. I mean, obviously, overall, if you hold the team to three points, you played a great game on defense. But the third quarter, I think, was when Michigan's defense was the most dominant. The halftime adjustments seemed to have seemed to have Iowa really confused. Uh, they ended up even switching quarterbacks from Spencer Petras to Alex Padilla in the third quarter. Uh, the flip of what they did against Nebraska to mark to mount their comeback against them actually when they went from Padilla to Petras in the third or fourth quarter, uh, and then Michigan piled it on with 21 more in the fourth quarter to end up winning by 39 points. It was an ugly game. Iowa did not play well. Uh, Michigan played pretty much their best, and Iowa just didn't play well enough to beat them. Uh, then you have number 17, Utah, beating number 10, Oregon, 38-10. to I was going to pick this game, but it was between this and Pitt and Wake Forest. Um, I would have picked both of them, right? I would have picked Utah. I was not picking Oregon, as I did two weeks ago, even when Utah was barely ranked or even unranked. I don't even remember at that point, but I, I think it was pretty obvious that uh, Utah was the better team, and I think Oregon was kind of in that factor a little bit early. A lot of teams go and don't play well in bowl games when they're disappointed to be there. I think Oregon was the same way in terms of having no real chance at the playoff already heading into that game. I think throughout the season they expected that they'd be able to get the wins they needed and walk into this game thinking we win this game when we're in the playoff, or at least we're very much in the discussion. That's not the way it turned out. This loss to Utah really, I mean, it proves that, first of all, Utah is a better team than Oregon. Uh, and, you know, Utah only has one loss with Cam Rising as their starting quarterback. I don't know if that will continue because they're playing Ohio State in the bowl game, but uh, 
it's it was a good game played by Utah. Oregon made too many mistakes, really dumb mistakes, honestly. And honestly, Oregon hasn't had great quarterback play pretty much since they played Ohio State and beat them on the road. Uh, so it's a little bit of an interesting situation that Oregon had all season. Uh, and now Mario Cristobal is leaving for Miami, so uh, they might make it two straight losses to end the year, to be quite honest. Uh, and we'll see what Utah does in their first Rose Bowl in team history. Uh, but moving on from the dominant wins, let's go to the most impressive players. Let us start with Jerome Ford of Cincinnati, 18 carries, 187 yards, two touchdowns in Cincinnati's big win. Obviously not that many players to choose from because there were only so many games this weekend, pretty much six relevant ones, the ones that I mentioned. Uh, Bryce Young of Alabama, 26 of 44, 421 yards, three touchdowns passing, and three carries for 40 yards and one touchdown. Uh, Kirby Smart pretty much described it the best. If you don't get to Bryce Young, he'll get to you. That's exactly what he did throughout all this game uh, and threw for an SEC championship game record with those passing yards. Uh, And really, it's his Heisman moment. Uh, C.J. Stroud... With with the loss to Michigan, pretty much took himself out of the conversation. I mean, he played a pretty decent game in that game, but after the Michigan State game, a lot of people probably expected him to come back and repeat the same kind of a performance, and they would beat Michigan, and they didn't, and that was kind of the, the fail for him. And uh, Bryce Young was able to, after playing a terrible, terrible, terrible first half against Auburn, he was able to mount and help Alabama get their comeback and win the game against Auburn in their rivalry game, so he helped his team more in his rivalry game. That's his Heisman moment. He'll win the Heisman. Uh, but we'll talk more about the, or I'll talk more about the Heisman in a little bit here. In terms of overall takeaways this weekend, the players of new the playoff of newcomers isn't exactly in full effect, but the field still feels really fresh this year. Other than Bama's seven appearances. Georgia is the only other college football playoff team this year with an appearance, and it, it is only just one. It was just the one year that they made it. Uh, and then it's the first playoff appearance, like I mentioned earlier, by a group of five team this year, coming with Cincinnati representing the group of five, and Michigan becomes the third team to represent the Big Ten in the conference in the, in the college football playoff, uh, the, the other two obviously being Ohio State a few times uh, and Michigan State once, which... Did not end very well for them. Hopefully for the Big Ten, Michigan fares a little bit better than that. Um, But overall, I think I I don't want to see the SEC championship game rematch again just because it it almost feels like, I don't know exactly why, but it it feels like the game is is somehow more boring just because even if the game might be more exciting when it's actually played, you don't want to see the same matchup twice, even if the result is different. I think then you get people arguing about who was actually the better team, and it feels like it almost feels like back in the olden days where they would vote and basically the AP poll would decide who the champions were, and it was possible to have co-champions, uh, co-national champions. That 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 that's kind of what it feels like to me. I, I think if Alabama plays Georgia again and Georgia beats them, then Alabama can still think about the fact that they did beat Georgia to get to make it into the playoff. Arguably the more not obviously the more important game because. The national championship is the national championship, but you can't even get to the national championship without winning the conference championship game. I don't think there is much of an argument as to which is important, and whoever wins the national championship game is the better team, is the best team in college football, but I just think that it takes a little bit of the excitement out of it when it's not teams that you never see play each other. I like it a lot better when you have crazy matchups that you pretty much never see, or 
Even Clemson, Alabama, even when it felt like it was inevitable for so many years in a row, at least you knew that those two were never going to play each other any earlier than that championship game. So it always felt like a big matchup when they did play. Georgia, Alabama 2.0 has already happened once in the playoff after happening in the SEC championship game. And while that game was also a great game, I just don't like when the repeat matchups happen again. But at the same time, I don't think the playoff committee would have wanted them to rematch again in the semifinals and play two weeks in a row. So really stuck in a tough position there. The only thing they could have done to stop a rematch is take Georgia out of the playoff. But that wasn't going to happen because Georgia was the best team in the country for 12 out of 13, for 13 out of 14 weeks, if you want to count bye weeks for teams too. So they couldn't have taken Georgia out. They had the best season this year other than that one slip up against Alabama. Uh, But I think because of that, Bama takes over as the title favorite. They did in terms of odds in Vegas, but honestly, from what I saw, I did say that Georgia had two plays that pretty much could have changed the game if they had made them better and and not blown coverages, but at the same time, Alabama did just outplay them in that game, and their defense was able to suffocate Georgia enough after the first quarter that, I mean, after Georgia scored 17 in the first half, they only had seven in the second, it it just wasn't enough, Uh, and their defense can play a lot better. But I don't know if it will, just because I think Alabama's offense is that much better. Georgia really hasn't played that many great teams this year. Uh, We thought at the beginning of the year that that Clemson win was huge. But in reality, when we saw Clemson, they're pretty much the same level of a team as Kentucky is. So I think it can be argued that Georgia's best win is against Kentucky. And that's not really that impressive. Uh, And they gave up 17 points to Tennessee, which... 17 is a pretty pedestrian number when it comes to high-powered offenses like Tennessee, who average almost 40 a game. But at the same time, it's not its not entirely a defense that can't be broken. Tennessee played and got most of those points and those yards in the first half. So it, it is possible to break down Georgia's defense uh, if you have the right weapons to do it. And Alabama really does. The one big problem for me is that John Mechie is out with his torn ACL, but Alabama's had to deal with that before with Jalen Waddell, and then he came back all the way in the championship game. I don't think Mechie will be coming back just because of the time of when he tore his ACL, or at least they think it's a torn ACL when he got his injury. Um, But I still think that Alabama now, because of the timing, has enough time to replace him and really integrate other receivers like Ja'Cory Brooks into their system well enough that it won't be an issue. Jaleel Billingsley and Slade Bolden and Jamison Williams are enough to make up a really good receiving core without even having Mechie there. Uh, but in terms of the rest of college football, honestly, the one last takeaway I had, and it's not a major one, the future of the Big 12 actually looks brighter than we thought because uh, they had four teams who in five years or however many years it is, they will all be playing in the Big 12 championship or, or in the Big 12 that were playing in championship games this weekend. Cincinnati and Houston will both be joining the Big 12, if you forgot. Uh, And then they had Baylor and Oklahoma State, a matchup of two teams that are going to stay in the conference. Obviously, the Big 12 only adding teams because of the fact that Oklahoma and Texas are leaving. And it's kind of fitting that the year that those two decide to leave, not only does OU's coach leave, but uh, they don't, neither of them get into the Big 12 championship game. So, it's an interesting way to, to, to send them off a little bit. Uh, obviously, they're not gone yet, and they will still be in that conference for, I think, a year or two more. Uh, but when Cincinnati and Houston get get to the Big 12, I don't, I don't think it will be any less competitive. And if anything, it improves their playoff chances a little bit of a, as a conference because, as we saw, 
The playoff committee still ranked Ohio State higher than Baylor, even after Baylor won the conference championship game and had the same record, actually a better record technically than Ohio State. Both of them two losses, Baylor 11-2, and Ohio State 10-2. and But Ohio State's schedule was good enough because it plays in the toughest division uh, other than the SEC West, that being the Big Ten East. Because of that, their schedule was tough enough that Ohio State got ranked higher. I, I think if you put more teams than more good teams like BYU too that's also joining the Big 12... It'll help them overall to make a stronger conference and have harder schedules. Uh, so overall, I think it'll be good for them long term. But the future is looking bright for them. And, you know, Oklahoma, they have some issues to figure out. Texas has a lot more issues to figure out than Oklahoma does. And finally, the Heisman talk. They finally, they chose the, they revealed the four finalists who will be in New York City. Uh, it is Bryce Young, it's C.J. Stroud, it's Aiden Hutchinson, and it's Kenny Pickett. And I think they got the four finalists almost right. I think maybe you could say one of them should be out, and uh, you could have Will Anderson in there or Kenneth Walker in there, uh, whether you want it to be instead of Shroud, Pickett, or Hutchinson, honestly. But I think those five, I think it was going to always be Bryce Young, and then three of those five. I think overall, I actually do like the four they picked. I think the one change I would have made is maybe put uh, is maybe put Will Anderson in honestly over Kenny Pickett just because he played a weak schedule in the ACC. I actually thought that the way that this year turned out, the best team in the country all year was led by defense. I think this year could have been the year that they could put a bunch of defensive guys uh, in New York, uh, and obviously they got one there. But honestly, in my opinion, not enough. Let's now move on from college football to the weekly review of NFL action, starting with the best games of Week 13. I have three of them. Washington football team beat the Oakland Ra- I just said Oakland. Uh, the Las Vegas Raiders, at least I caught myself, 17-15. Uh, to 15. Washington got a game-winning drive out of Taylor Heineke. Uh, starting to become, I feel like, a little bit of a local legend. I don't, I'm not going to start making comparisons to uh, this guy, but I will say... Heineke has the Kurt Warner story in him. I don't know if exactly he's going to achieve that that much of a high level of success, but uh, he's a he's a winner and he fights hard and he plays very very well for Washington. He plays just well enough for them to win games when their when their defense steps up. Obviously, 17 points is not going to win you a bunch of games, but occasionally it does. It did last week. It did this week. Uh, ironically enough, the same exact score, 17-15. to They won against the Seahawks on Monday Night Football. They won 17-15 to this week. Uh, and really just a good win by Washington, but a close game for sure. Uh, and Washington sending the Raiders even da- even downhill even further. And honestly, catapulting themselves pretty high up in the NFC wildcard race. Now 6-6, six and six, they are in the sixth seed spot right behind the Rams and all the division leaders. Uh, so not too bad for them. Uh, then you have the Steelers who are now 6-5-1 after their dramatic win against the Ravens. I talked about how it ended. Uh, the Ravens had to go for two because all of their corners were injured, and uh, that pretty much cost them the game. I mean, it would have gone to overtime, and, you know, that's pretty much just a coin toss to see who wins after that. But uh, the Ravens will might have some long-term issues because of the fact that those corners now injured. I think it's Marlon Humphrey who might be out for the season. Uh, but overall, the Ravens just didn't have enough to... Uh, go to really play a great last series on defense because of those injuries, like I mentioned. Uh, And then they had to go for two because of it, and that's the reason John Harbaugh gave. And then finally, New England against Buffalo. Those conditions were absolutely terrible, and yet somehow the Patriots found a way to win a game 
while only throwing, I think, three passes in the entire game. It's crazy that New England is doing this, but here we are sitting in December, the first week of December, and who is in first place in the in the AFC? It's the Patriots. Uh, somehow, after all that's happened to them, and, you know, Tom Brady's very, very successful in Tampa Bay, and yet Bill Belichick is still successful without him so far. Yeah, Mac Jones was two of three with 19 yards in the entire game. Uh, and that was enough to win. Just one big run by Damian Harris for a touchdown and two field goal drives on pretty much all rushing. There was a point where New England run, I th- ran, I think, 31 running plays in a row. But that was enough for them to win. Uh, but let's move on from New England to the most disappointing teams. The Bills honestly could have belonged somewhere on this list themselves for losing this game at home because I don't think they're going to go up and win at Foxborough. But uh, I'll start with the Vikings Anytime someone was going to lose to the Lions this season, I was going to put that team on most disappointing teams because I thought that the Lions might not win at all. Uh, But the way the Vikings lost, you know, if they had... I don't even know what other way they could have lost this game that would have made me feel a little bit better about them, but Jared Goff ran the two-minute drill on you and you lost because of it. That's something that never happens and never should happen. But congrats to the Lions for getting their first win. But at the same time, Minnesota was 5-6, and six. With the win, they would have been 6-6 six and six tied with San Francisco and Washington in the sixth spot in the NFC, and now instead they're one game behind of the Niners and of Washington after Washington pulls out a close game, and we'll talk about what the Niners did next, but they had a golden opportunity playing the Lions, the Niners were playing the Seahawks and somehow lost, and I'll get to that next, but they had the opportunity, they had a golden opportunity, and they just messed it up, Uh, and they lost to the Lions, something terrible, something that you can't do, and because of it, now they're on the outside looking in. I believe, actually, even the Eagles are now ahead of them in the playoff picture because they're 6-7 instead of 5-7, so the Vikings are actually sitting at 8th in the playoff picture, and we'll talk about the playoff picture more later, but it's not, or actually at 9th, it's not a good place for the Vikings, especially with this being the team you lose to. Uh, moving on, as I said, the Niners are also on this list because they lost to the Seahawks, something that not a lot of teams have done this year. The Seahawks only have four wins. Most of them were when Russell Wilson was around the first time uh, and before that injury. Now that he's come back from the injury, he's been struggling. He couldn't do anything against Washington. He didn't do anything against the Packers. And now all of a sudden he pulls out a decent enough game against the Niners. And the reason why I'm really disappointed with the 49ers is the fact that The Seahawks turned the ball over twice inside of the five-yard line. They gifted you about as many opportunities as you could, and you still found a way to squander all of them. That is my one gripe with the Niners this week. Uh, Overall, their defense played okay. Their offense played okay. But, I mean, just in general, one, one touchdown drive from the Seahawks was a fake punt. One touchdown drive from the Niners was a one-play drive after an interception. So overall, it was really just one of the ugliest 30-23 to games you'll ever see. It felt like out of all the games I watched this weekend, it might have had one of the highest combined point totals, but just felt like the worst offensive game I've watched uh, in in a decent amount of time, to be honest. Uh, But moving on from disappointing teams, let's move on to the flip side of that with the most impressive teams. I am going with the Kansas City Chiefs to start off, but not because of their offense, because of their defense. 22-9, the Chiefs won against the Broncos on Sunday Night Football. Everyone was watching them. They needed to come up with a big performance. Uh, and they really, after the Chargers, the Chargers could have lost uh, on Sunday too, and that would have played 
That would have made the Chiefs two games ahead in the division. But, you know, you can only control what you can control. The Chargers did win their game, but the Chiefs came out and they played with the high intensity. They played like they were playing in a divisional game in a very, very important game. Daniel Sorensen had a pick six, and overall... Kansas City has been has been pretty bad on fourth down conversions this year on defense in terms of stopping fourth down conversions, I should say. They'd given up 10 of 15 to start the year. Uh, and then in this game, the Broncos had a drive where they converted two fourth downs, and you thought that it was just happening again to the Chiefs, including a fourth and seven, by the way. One of them was a fourth and two run, but the other one was a fourth and seven. And then all of a sudden in the red zone, the Chiefs shored up their defense, uh, stopped the Broncos on a fourth and two, and then on the next fourth down, the Broncos had the Chiefs got a pick six, like I said, by Daniel Sorensen. So I'm just impressed with their defense. If their offense starts clicking, we're now looking at the 2019 Chiefs again. Uh, this version of the Chiefs won't win the Super Bowl, but if their offense gets back to what it has been in the past and what it still obviously can be based on the talent, then we may be talking about them as Super Bowl contenders again. But right now, still, 22 points against the Broncos. The Broncos have a good enough defense to hold you down a little bit, but it just felt like the Chiefs just blew too many opportunities in this game and had a bunch, and as I said, their defense played well enough. I mean, one of the problems was that the Broncos had an 11-minute drive where they were just the, the Chiefs just could not touch the field. So the points were almost more of a factor of literally not having the ball rather than not being so efficient, but they still haven't been as efficient as we as we come to expect them to be. And really, besides a, a defensive score, they only had 15 points. And when you go even further into that, the Chiefs have been the best team in the NFL in terms of scoring points on opening drives this year. But if you take out the opening drive points, now you're looking at eight points. That's just not that great. Uh, so overall, in in general, that's... Or actually, sorry, the Chiefs missed the extra point on the, on the, on the uh, pick six, so... Technically, you're looking at nine points, but that's a small technicality. It doesn't really matter. Uh, the Chiefs just need to get a little bit better on offense and really come back to that form that we know that they have and that they can achieve, and that's when they're going to be really, really scary again. But moving on from them, I'm going with another team for their defense. The Dolphins have now won five in a row after their 1-7 and seven start uh, and seven-game losing streak. They won 20-9 to nine this weekend over the Giants. Not too much to say about the game overall. I'm just going to say that while I don't have the Dolphins as one of the teams that I think is going to jump up into the playoff picture, it is a really, really tight playoff race in the AFC. So it is possible that they do end up being the team that maybe jumps over uh, the Chargers, maybe over Cincinnati. I wouldn't put Buffalo in a place where I would say they could fall out of it, but at the same time, they have the same record that the Chargers and Cincinnati do, so it's still possible. Uh, but finally, last team... The Chargers in a very, very important game on the road against the Bengals. Uh, if they lose, they fall to 500, and the Bengals go to 8-4, and four, which would put Cincinnati's playoff chances pretty far down, actually, considering that the Bengals would, them have, would then have a tiebreaker over them later in the year, and the top six seeds in the AFC would all be two games ahead of the Bengals, with the exception of the Bills. Uh, they came out. They played very, very well. They started the game with 24 unanswered points, and then the Bengals scored 22 unanswered of their own. Uh, to make it 24 to 22, but then the Chargers scored 17 unanswered of their own, of their own, I should say, to end the game and win 41 to 22. So overall, a good game played by the Chargers, really controlled actually by their defense. They got to Joe Burrow a lot. They frustrated him. They actually injured him too. Uh, but finally, after most impressive teams, got to move on to the most impressive players. Starting with Jonathan Taylor of Indianapolis, 
he just keeps running. I mean, it feels like he's not as good as Derrick Henry or as talented, but his production level is getting to that level for Indianapolis, and it feels like Carson Wentz is starting to turn into Ryan Tannehill. Uh, he just needs to game manage a little bit. Don't turn the ball over, and this team is going to be a winning team. They won 31 to nothing this weekend, by the way, but when you beat the Texans, I don't really care. Uh, 32 carries, 143 yards, two touchdowns, and then Chris Godwin setting... Well, the NFL, th- this year a season high for any receiver in the NFL, 15 receptions for 143 yards, also could have given to, t- to Tom Brady there. Uh, they just torched the Falcons through the through the air. Uh, and then finally, let's move on to the playoff picture in both the AFC and the NFC, starting with the AFC, where the New England Patriots are now in the one seed, although I think they were last week actually uh, also, but now they are actually a half game ahead. I think they have their bye week next week. They are 9-4. and four. That I mean, the reason why I say it with so much enthusiasm is I just did not expect this team. I thought Mac Jones could be good enough. I mean, Mac Jones is a winner for sure. I mean, his career at Alabama tells that story. But I thought that maybe I would see this team as a 10-7 and 7 type of a team, maybe a 11-6 and 6 type of a team that would, you know, contend for, the not contend for their division, but that would easily lose their division to the Bills and yet at the same time make the playoffs with a pretty good mar- by a pretty good margin, like d- pretty much getting maybe five, six seeds, something like that, just right outside of the, the division winners there, especially with the expanded wildcard this year. But now they're in the one seed overall, and honestly, they just won probably their toughest game of the year, the most talented team they'll play, and they beat them on the road. They also already beat the two seed in the AFC, the Tennessee Titans, uh, who are 8-4 and four on the year. Uh, then you have Baltimore at eight and four, also at number three. You have Kansas City at eight and four, at number four. You have the Chargers there at seven and five, Cincinnati at seven and five, and Buffalo at seven and five. In that order for five, six, seven as the wild card teams. There are tiebreaker scenarios here, but th- this is an important situation because if this is how the uh, if this is how it turns out at the end of the year, right now we're looking at the tiebreaker being in LA's favor because of their head to head over Cincinnati. And their win and their record in conference games carries them over Buffalo. And then Cincinnati is ahead of Buffalo because of their record in games in the AFC. Buffalo is five and five in AFC games. Cincinnati and the Chargers are both five and three. Uh, so it is possible that that plays a role in the end when we get to the end of the season. We'll have to see. But uh, I have I have some faith that Buffalo might win some more games down the stretch. The Chargers have some games coming up against the Chiefs. Uh, Cincinnati, I mean, if you look at their division, you have Cleveland, who still, even though they're, even though Cleveland is not having such a great year, I mean, 6-6 six and six is still okay, but they're not necessarily the best team. They're definitely the worst team in that division. Pittsburgh is looking better right now, uh, and you have Baltimore, obviously, who's a huge task, and I don't think Cincinnati has played them yet. So it'll be interesting to see what happens when they play those tough division games against those teams, whereas Buffalo... Sure, you play Miami at the end of the season, but they also have another game against the Jets coming up, and they might even be able to get their revenge on New England, and I wouldn't put it past them to also beat the Dolphins. It's not like the Dolphins. I wouldn't put the Dolphins as high up as the Ravens, obviously. So uh, Buffalo has a more favorable schedule, and and overall, I mean, it's going to be close. They all are in very, very close divisions, uh, but we'll have to see. Obviously, Tennessee has probably the easiest division besides the Colts. 
the Titans, are, besides the Colts, the Titans are the best team, and it's not really close in that division. It's just the Jaguars and the Texans as the other two teams, so those two are pushovers. pushovers. Uh, and as I talked about, number eight now, Pittsburgh, 6-5-1. and one. Number nine is Indianapolis at 7-6. and six. Ten and 11 and 12, all at 6-6 six and six in that order, are Vegas, Cleveland, and Denver. And finally, you have Miami, who are 13th at 6-7. and seven. I actually think out of those bottom four, Miami probably has the best chance to jump all the others to get into the wild card. But I actually think that the seven that we have might stay as the seven. I, I, I know I said a lot that I think Indianapolis could jump into the playoff picture. But I really thought they were going to jump in by by the fact that the Chargers would be 6-6 six and six at the end of this week with the loss of the Bengals. Now, obviously, that's not going to happen. That already We already know that didn't happen. So the Chargers actually keep their game advantage. It does depend on how they play in their divisional matchups. We'll see what they do. Uh, but overall, I mean, Indy's going to have a tough road. Really, their, their slow start to the season might end up uh, inducing their downfall. But they do have some easy, easy divisional games where even though the Chargers aren't necessarily playing teams like New England or Tennessee or Baltimore down the stretch... They got their tough win against Cincinnati, and now some of their division games are against Denver and Vegas, who I think the Chargers clearly are a better team than those two, uh, but we'll have to see how they fare in those games. But the AFC is just really one giant clump of teams, and then somehow, some way, the Patriots have found a way to stand above the rest again. Uh, moving on to the NFC, you have Arizona at 10-2. and They have an important divisional matchup against the Rams next week. Green Bay at number two with nine, at nine and three. Tampa Bay at nine and three in the third spot, and then Dallas at fourth at eight and four. Then you have L.A. leading the wild card at eight and four with their big win over the Jaguars. I mean, big win is in uh, margin of victory, not as in uh, game importance. But then you have Washington and San Francisco both at six and six. Washington takes the sixth spot for now, and San Francisco takes the seventh spot. Philadelphia at eight behind Minshew Mania this weekend. Their win there uh, now at six and seven. Minnesota, after losing to the Lions, are now in ninth, and they're also tied with Carolina, Atlanta, and New Orleans at five and seven. Uh, then you have the Giants, Chicago, and Seattle at four and eight. The NFC, I think, it's clear that the AFC has better teams overall. I think if you were to put the best fourteen teams in the playoffs you would probably end up with nine AFC teams and five NFC teams. But the teams at the top of the NFC might be, I mean, if you look at the top four, you could make the argument easily that at least four of those teams are in the top five of the league overall. I would be willing to make the argument that only New England is better than any of the top five in the NFC. Uh, But it's a tough conversation, but still the NFC is very, very top heavy. There's a reason why the sixth spot is six and six. The Niners with... Their loss to the Seahawks. Really, they had an opportunity to pretty much solidify themselves in the playoff race. If they were at 7-6, and six, I would trust them a lot more with that record than I would against the Eagles, especially because the Eagles have some games against the Cowboys, obviously. They also have uh, they also have Washington on their schedule a few times, and they just lost to the Giants two weeks ago. So it's not, it's not that crazy for them to lose games against not necessarily the greatest teams. So uh, the NFC is also a little bit of a mess, but... Instead of being a mess of good teams, it's really a mess of subpar teams. But that'll be it for this episode of the podcast. Be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Friday, December 10th, where we will focus on basketball with our weekly analysis 
of the NBA and NCAA basketball action. In the meantime, be sure to check out our additional content, including uh, my picks for next weekend's games, which will come out on Thursday. The final uh, installment of our college football top 25 poll, which will come out tomorrow. And then the in-season NCAA tournament bracket, which I just published on Saturday. Uh, Although that's already being uh, thrown away pretty much because of some crazy upsets that happened today already. College basketball is just crazy in general. Uh, But then I will also have picks for every bowl game coming up with the scores that I believe will, will take place. I don't exactly know when that will be ready because I also want to wait and see what the news is with opt-outs. Obviously, we've already heard about Kayvon Thibodeau opting out for Oregon. In the same bowl game, Nick Benito's opting out. You never know who's coaching these teams in bowl games, uh, especially because you have Mario Cristobal, who's going to be replacing Manny Diaz at Miami. But the question is, does he coach Oregon in the bowl game? Does he coach Miami? It's a it's a whole confusing thing, so I'm going to wait until I can get the most information. Most likely will be published next Wednesday with all my bowl picks, uh, and then the, the bowl season starts next Friday. So uh, stay tuned for all of that, and check all of that out on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.